Rick Madison, Rick and Friends, thanks for listening. Uh, today, we have a guest that is, uh, well, again, a good friend of mine, and he's lived and grown up in this wonderful community called Rutland. And uh, I would say Pat Walchuk would be an advocate for Rutland. Would you agree? Pat Walchuk, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for having me. I would definitely agree with that, yes. So we've had conversations over the years when when we hear about different things happening in the community. So today, if if you're <laughs> if you're from another part of the city, well, maybe this wouldn't be of of interest. But I, I I do think a lot of people don't give Rutland enough credit, um, especially if you're uh, running for council or mayor or anything else. You have to pay attention to this community, and 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 you've got some numbers surrounding what this community means to the. Kelowna, like Rutland, what it means to Kelowna. Yeah, absolutely I do. It is definitely a large uh, voter base. So essentially, uh, older numbers, but uh, they're looking at around 35,000 people living there as of 2016. So right now that would be around 40 with the with the growth. Um, for some reason, don't know why, they don't include the Tuvi, Black Mountain, Ellison, and Belgo regions, which Infrastructure-wise and everything, to me, that's part of Rutland. That is part of Rutland. Yeah. yeah. So if you include all those, you're upwards of forty-five to 50,000 people. Um, so where we're at in the city of Kelowna right now, that represents over 25% of Kelowna's population. So uh, electoral-wise, um, when it comes to elections, like I've never, in all the years I've been here, never had anyone that I know of that I can remember who has ran on a, a Rutland platform, meaning right. I'm going to be a voice for Rutland in this election. Um, you know, there's been many, many different, shall we say, issues that have mm -hmm. come up with Rutland. And it would be nice to have somebody with a voice. So if you go back to the 2018 election, for instance, um, the statistics show that there was uh, in BC and Kelowna, there's 75% of our population is of voting age. We had only 32 and a bit percent of that actually vote in 2018 civic elections. Um, so if you translate those numbers to Rutland's population, that gives you around just about 12,000, 11 to 12,000 votes. Mm, okay. Now, taking in like Maxine DeHart, she was the highest vote getter as a counselor and she had 15,000. Or just over. Mm -hmm. uh, the bottom was um, for Loyal Wood Woolridge, sorry, and he was just over 11,000. So you can see how if someone were to tap that market, you're not going to get all those votes, of course, but it is a strong base to build your platform off of for sure. So what you're saying is if you pay attention to Rutland and, and maybe speak to the issues, the trouble is with our current system of, of election, you're looking after Kelowna, so there's not a ward system or anything else. But I would say if you brought that onto your platform of at least speaking to some of the issues that um, are concerns for Rutland residents, you'd probably get a better chance of of getting into a seat if you, again, just paid homage to a, a large part of our community. Well, absolutely. Uh, even though we don't have that ward system, um, that does play out numbers wise. If you if you know Rutland's having an issue with, well, the biggest one obviously is Rutland Middle Middle School. That that's a huge one. Um, if that is one that as as a um, candidate for council or mayor or whatever you wanted or trustee trustee, especially for trustee, that you're like you know I'll champion this. You're 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 playing to a large crowd, a crowd that knows it's a problem. They want to have it fixed. And there's lots of things within Rutland that are like that, where you don't get much, you know, middle school has definitely gotten some play on in the media and such, but there, a lot of things don't really get the media attention. And if you do that, you, you are playing to a really large group. And, and that group of people, so the demographics of Rutland, it is a working class neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, like, um, you know, it's a lot of tradesmen and, and women and that kind of thing. And so they have a mentality that's very close to each other. It's a very, very, I mean, it's in this day and age of massive subdivisions going up everywhere. Rutland is still this really close community. Like you'd be surprised how many people are still hanging out with their neighbors, having a beer over fence, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So 
their their interests and their their desires are all fairly similar. You know, I mean, that's a broad statement, but it is really re- really true of Rutland. Um, while as diverse and everything that it is, people there tend to have the same mindset, the same likes, the same desires, the same wants, and so it is something that you could potentially you know tap into and and champion for them. So, how many years did you live in Rutland? Well, I've I've, I've moved to Kelowna in eighty one. Um, when I originally moved here, it was into uh, Joe Rich. So while well outside the city limits, you're still utilizing Rutland as your base. That's where you go to school. It's where you shop. That's where your friends are. So essentially, I've been in the Rutland area since 81, minus about six months. Okay. So And I've you know raised my family there, started my business there. We're all still in Rutland. and You still yeah. have a house there, too. Still have a house there. So in, in your eyes, uh, it's still well connected to that community because, you know, where your current house is. Would that be considered part of Rutland? No, we are, again, in the more of the Belgo Black Mountain, yep. just outside, which, um, you know, for wanting to go into the Rutland um, community, uh, you can't get on any of the boards or anything because we're outside of that. Okay. And I, it's one thing I've meant to ask that little society that they have out there, the Rutland um, community is why Belgo, Black Mountain, Tuvi Heights, why they aren't included. Um, you could, if you wanted, stretch out to Ellison. That's uh, a little bit far. But right now, the boundaries, if you look at it, are basically Springfield to Reed's Corner, Highway 97 to the base of the hill on Highway 33 as you come out of the Rutland subdivision. So you mentioned one of the issues that uh, is, is high priority for Rutland, and that is the middle school. And from a standpoint of we had... Uh, the wonderful Leanne Titi on, on the program here. And she was talking about the the issues inherent with, well, if you're running for trustee and you champion just one issue, it, it does insulate you a little bit. Like it, it, you know, if you have one particular issue and a bee in your bonnet, whatever you want to call it, and you just one, you just talk about that one issue, people think, okay, well, you have this singular mindset, which is good. But it may not get you to the promised land, which is, you know, actually winning a seat. So there, there's it's it's a bit problematic, even though everybody knows it's a huge issue. Um, but you're a bit closer to it. So what are some of the uh, the issues with that school? Like, what have you heard? Well, I, again, going back to, to Leanne there, she is a wealth of knowledge on anything School District 23. Um, she's a, a wonderful lady to talk to and so easy to get to talk to, get information from. She'll tell you what's going on, what's not going on. So um, I did have a chance to confer with her on some points just so I knew a little more of the inside of what's going on. At the moment, um, it's kind of stagnant. Uh, there doesn't seem to be much movement on it and it's not for want of our city or our school trustees. I want to make sure I point that out. They have been championing that school for what seems like decades now. Um, a quick Google search showed me, uh, 2016, there were articles about how they were the, all the school trustees were on board to push the province, um, to try and get it replaced. And, and the general consensus is it cannot be renovated. Um, the reason being is inside the walls is a mystery. Um, there's a great chance of asbestos. It was built in uh, 49, so it's 73 years old, and that's right when they were being used in that kind of material. Plus the chance for massive uh, mice and rat droppings, which are, you know, you can't just rip walls open and start sweeping that up. You can't, and, you know. and, and from what I understand from Leanne, she said, by the province's viewpoint, if you have kids going to school housed in a, in a place, as much as in disrepair it is, um, that's still a structure that they can learn in. And that's the way they view that school, even though it, again, it is way under code in, in a lot of different areas. But, but I think that's one of the biggest reasons is it hasn't been knocked down and, and rebuilt is because you can't actually go to school there. Well, yeah, absolutely. I call it seats for butts. And in Victoria, I understand when, uh, they don't have ties to the community and there's a broader picture. Yep, we have seats that the butts can go in. Great. Um, but you can't just look at that. Um, so I'll, I'll put some figures past you here. I did some some looking at some of the schools that we've recently got, mostly middle schools. Uh, going back to 2009, they did Dr. Knox, brand new one out in Glenmore for about $30 million. Uh, Canyon Falls, uh, we like to call it Taj Mahal. Um, that one came out in 2019 for $40 million. 
Uh, they've recently done one in Lake Country in 2021. It's another 40 million. And they've earmarked $100 million for a new secondary on the west side. And that's not even being built till 2025. So if you look at it map wise, every single part of Kelowna that requires a middle school. And in, in the case of the new secondary, the, um, they do have the middle school there as well on the west side. But um, every single area within Kelowna now has a brand new spanking, beautiful um, building for middle school. So it would kind of say that Rutland should be next. Um, like I remember, honestly, I, not to date myself, but I was in Rutland Middle, was Rutland Junior at the time in the mid to late 80s. And even then, the janitors and teachers were talking about how it needed to be replaced because it, was, it wasn't built like um, some of the schools you see in Vancouver and Victoria that are all brick and mortar and beautiful and their heritage. I think there's a school there from 1914. That's the oldest school in BC in Victoria, and it's a heritage building. That's not Rutland Junior or Middle, sorry. It's just not that construction. It's a more of a construction. And then nowadays, you've got the construction. It's all steel and, and concrete, which is perfect for schools. It takes the abuse. It holds up. Um, the other op thing there that you see with this school is the lack of access for wheelchairs and such to the second floor. So that really, you know, if you've got anyone with issues on mobility, they are stuck downstairs. And, you know, elevators apparently is not an option because, again, once you start opening walls up, you don't know what you're getting into there. Um, the one thing I did specifically ask about was fire safety. Now, I understand there's no way that they would ever let it go if they thought that there was a major issue. But again, with not knowing that the construction's all wood and knowing that we don't know what's inside the walls, mm -hmm. there is new sprinkler system in there, which is awesome. You got to protect the children. But it's one of those things where you look at and, well, if that school was in a neighborhood in Victoria, B.C., would it still be standing and being used? And I really just don't think it would be. So prior to this chat, I was uh, searching up Rutland civic issues, and you'll never guess what comes up a lot <laughs> uh, is low barrier housing. Um, some people call it a bunch of different things. It's been coined uh, wet houses, that kind of thing. I do remember when... Um, some of these structures were being by you know bc housing was was being put forward and rutland residents showed up on mass and very well organized and and i would think very respectful of the process but again you know when when i start looking at it from the the mindset of you know kids are walking from home from school there's the the chance of of needles um i've spoken to people internally and and they say you know there is inherent issues with with people that are housed there. Is is Rutland continually being chosen as as a site because of the fact you have cheaper land? Like it's cheaper for BC Housing to put a structure there than it is anywhere else in the community. Hundred percent for sure. Uh, it's all about nickels and dimes with the you know provincial government. That's what everything's about for them. It seems, and um, but it's it's kind of like a self self-fulfilling prophecy um you've got a area of town where the land is not as valuable as other areas um so let's put these in these houses in there um what happens then is you continue to devalue the value the land around those and even though rutland has seen an increase in value like everywhere else has in the last uh, few years I would hesitate to say it is it has kept pace with places like Mission or Wilden or Glenmore, you know, some of the higher end ones. Because, again, as if you were a realtor and you were selling a home, say, around Benley Park, they would ask, you know, there's three wet houses, whatever you want to call them, within five, ten blocks. Now, I know BC Housing likes to tout that, yeah, there's no impact on the surrounding neighborhoods. But the RCMP has flat out defied them on that and said they are 100% wrong. And I believe the figure out of Nanaimo when that was said was a 300% increase immediately in crime within a 10 to 15 block radius or something like that. So so your point is you're saying by putting those wet houses there, it continues to exacerbate the problem because, you know, again, with, with the crime uh, increasing, property values would continue to stay push down effectively. Well, absolutely. Yeah. So like I say, like they, they create the low land prices that they need by putting these in residential subdivisions. Now I don't 
advocate that we should have one in every subdivision in Kelowna. I don't think they should be within a residential subdivision personally. I know I'm not an expert on it, but having um, what is four within about a 20 block radius in Kelowna, in Rutland, sorry, including, as you said, one that's only two blocks from Rutland Middle School, actually one block, um, it defies logic when you know the inherent problems that are built with these. They're there to be to house problems that are or that need solutions, right? Well, they're going to drag with them stuff, and that's you're you're bringing that into um, the community. So, like when they were first proposing the one on uh, McCurdy and Rutland Road, um, I happened to be in a few other groups, and you were correct that I was insanely proud of Rutland when I saw uh, on Facebook and such where they made groups together and banded together and were organized. They were polite. If there was any derogatory or um, abusive manners in there, that person was blocked and kicked. And these people really had their stuff together. And it was amazing to see that large of a group hey, we got an idea. What do you think? And boom, boom, boom. There'd be a hundred posts within a couple hours on ideas on how to bring it together. And then they had a core group that went in and went to the BC housing, went to city of Kelowna, went to everybody. Anyways, um, when they originally had proposed that lot, um, I happened to be coming home down Rutland Road at about uh, 2.30, 2.45 on, you know, during the week, coming home from work. And at that intersection where there's also a convenience store, there had to have been about 150 kids on all four corners. And as I'm sitting at the light, I'm thinking to myself, right there is going to be a house where they're allowed to use drugs. Mm-hmm. Now, aside from all that, it's what that brings into the neighborhood. Um, so you're talking about the criminal element the, that would supply, per, 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 you know, I, I know that there's, there's drugs on site, but I know. Yeah. yeah. That and, and. The petty crime that comes with it, the break-ins, the that this and that. Uh, we have a friend who lived two blocks away from one of these houses, the one closer down to Highway 97. And she saw an incredible increase in traffic on her property and in front of her property um, from before the house was built to after. Like it was exponential. And, you know, you look at Ben Lee now and um, there is this now – there's this van. It's like it's like a, an older camper, uh, like RV. And it's been around Kelowna for, I've seen it around at least five years. And it it's reported to be a safe drug injection site slash get, free, get clean needles. Um, I happened to be working by Ben Lee three, four years ago, and it was parked there for an entire week as we were working right beside Ben Lee. We saw it there every day when we got there for work, and it was there when we left. People coming and going from it. And I'm thinking to myself, that's great, um, clean, safe for the people using it. But it is bringing that element into what it used to be a family park, like literally across a parking lot from a children's water park. So that is bringing into the community. Again, going back to like Kettle Valley, can you imagine at Colchina Park if that RV was parked in Colchina Park for a week? So in, in your estimation, Pat, are, are you are you talking about or or suggesting the BC housing should look at the map and and perhaps just equal distribution. So maybe, um, you know, more Mission, more Dilworth, Glenmore, like just different regions where you have a greater distribution so that we can all bear the weight of, of wet houses? I mean, that would help. That would definitely, um, it would get a little of the animosity of them gone. Um I am a hundred percent proponent that they should not be in residential neighborhoods. Um, not, it's not one of those we don't want to see that kind of things. It's more of a safety issue when you're raising children in a neighborhood and they have to worry about picking a needle up out of the gutter. It's not a good thing, right? Um, would I like to see them spread out a little bit more in town? Absolutely. If you look at a map of what they're like in Kelowna, there's a cluster downtown. There's a few going up 97 corridor, you know, specifically by Orchard Park. And then there's a cluster in Rutland. And it's blank, basically, in Mission, Glenmore, Dilworth. It's, it's, there's none. And you, yes, the land is cheaper there. But by how much? Like, what are we talking? Millions? Or are we talking I, just a few thousand, right? Yeah, so, Well, I, I would have to check, though, and, and see. I think there is uh, wet houses or low-barrier houses 
uh, in the mission, if I'm not mistaken, but I, I could be wrong. Well, the ones I'm specifically talking about are the more the apartment size ones. Right. Okay. Um, I know there are some more residential home ones where the BC housing owns a house and they're able to house, you know, however many in suites or whatever. It's these apartment size ones that are three, four stories and they have, you know, multiple suites per story um, that they're tear, tearing down homes to build with right in the middle of residential areas. Um, I just think that there they, there could be better planning. And I know I don't, this is not a Kelowna and a Rutland specific thing. I know other other um, towns within BC are having the same issue where BC housing is just saying, that's where we own it. That's where we're building it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I'd like to see, and I know when originally going back to this, our uh, mayor and council um, basically kind of said, well, all we can do is look at their zoning. And if it's zoning, we can't really do much. And that's fine from a legal and, you know, that kind of perspective. But it makes you think since then. So, I mean, I know this is off the radar right now. Pandemic kind of shut down the narrative of everything else. Um, we're three, four years since those have been built. And that, that was really in the the newspapers in 2019 there. Um, has the city looked into putting in some of their own checks and balances so that this isn't an issue where BC housing comes in and strong arms them where they can say, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. We're not comfortable where you're putting that because of this. It'd be really nice to see them propose something like that. I don't know the legalities of whether they could put in any legislation that would trump BC housing being it's provincial and we're municipal, but it would be really nice to see them making the effort to, yeah, we care a little bit more about where you're putting things in our city. So we're going to put this in place so that you have to run it by us and get our approval. I think part and parcel of what you just said is the fact that, um, and, and again, the inner workings of government are sometimes a mystery. But I think when BC Housing is saying, we will help address your house, your housing issue, we are going to put this money forward. If there's any kind of backlash, we will withdraw our funding. And, you know, so it's a little bit of carrot and the stick thing. And I think for the most part, if you're a municipal councillor going, okay, I, I need to address homelessness, but... And, and I can't, like, beggars can't be choosers. So I think a lot of times they just kind of say, sounds good, Mr. BC Housing. That that sounds really nice. And thank you so much for thinking of us. I, I really do think, because further to what you say of, of of really having a thought process around where things are, are being placed and, and are we getting too much of a cluster in, in Rutland, which I think is a bit of an issue, of course. Yeah. But I think that the council is is and the mayor is really under the, the gun of we kind of have to accept the money. Otherwise, we're going to lose the funding. And then all of us people are going to point at us and saying, you had a chance and you gave it up. So what, what would you say to something like that? Well, I understand that. I understand um, you're doing a song and dance with the B.C. government trying to get support um, and you're trying to get, you know, the funds and you're trying to get the units because we need them. We need the beds. We need the places. We need the nurses and the doctors and the help and all that support. My suggestion to them is city of Kelowna has very little clout with the BC government, but all the cities within BC do. So why not go and get an association of all of the cities within BC who have this issue and there's dozens and dozens of them. Now you're not just voicing one. You're voicing, we love what you're doing. We'll definitely take your help and your funds to get a solution to this. But as a group, we need to make sure that this is done appropriately for our citizens of our towns. And, and I do think um, uh, Mr. Bazran is is sitting on the council um, of, of, you know, large municipalities like the Victoria Kelowna and uh, and various communities like that, not Vancouver, but but those those bigger regions or bigger communities, and and they are trying to build that plan. I I do believe, um, and I think that way, you're right. If if you have a conglomerate, you know, a group saying we need to look at this process because you are again arbitrarily putting in a wet house in into areas yeah. that I think we have just far too much. Well, the other, yeah, and absolutely, I'm glad to hear that um, because uh, out of five some million people, the voice of 150,000 is pretty quiet. But if you have the voice of 1.5 million people, it's a lot louder. Um, but 
on top of that, you could, you know, you work with them and you, you just advocate as strong as you can and you get as many people in your pocket as you can who back up what you're saying, have a clear, concise vision of, you know, we don't want to stop what you're doing. We would just like you to be a little more mindful mindful forethought on what you're doing and how it does we already know now we've got the data we've got you know talk to the rcmp they can tell you we know they affect where you're putting them so let's step back and let's have a look at where we should do them from now on knowing all the good and the bad of them okay so again as an advocate for rutland and i and i'm personally happy that you're bringing some of these issues forward around the community because again you know, Rutland gets a bad rap. It, it really does. And when I first came to Kelowna, true story, I'm traveling with my real estate agent. We're driving around town. And uh, she was she took me out to uh, Quail Ridge and then various parts of the city. And and I looked over when the old Costco site was there. And I, I said, why aren't, why aren't we going to look in there? And she says, well, I don't know how to say this, but if your bike was stolen... Uh, the first place I go look is just over there. And 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 honestly, I went, oh, okay, and new to clone. I, d- I had no idea what she was talking about. Yeah. So, again, as we go further into this, and, you know, I, I'm I'm somewhat uh, saddened at, at times of, of just how much of a rap Rutland gets. Yeah. So, Hine Road, I mean, well-known, uh, infamous, I guess you infamous could say. Infamous, for sure. Um that's one of the, I guess, the epicenters for, yeah. you know, why people mention Rutland and all that kind of thing. And and you're saying that there's some sort of thoughts around Hind Road or some sort of land assembly or... Well, so stepping back just a bit, yeah, you're right about the, the whole impression of Rutland and the stolen bike thing and everything. And it's sad because I'd say that's probably 10% of it. The rest of it is, um, you know, really nice, large lot, single family homes, uh, very, very community oriented. Um, you know, we had kids that would bike up and down the street till dark, like we used to do in the eighties. And we felt safe with that, where we were living when we had children. So, but yeah, high and road, I mean, since I moved here and I was in high school through the eighties and you know, that it was an issue then Mm -hmm. it was a known street back then. So my, it's more like a question of why hasn't it not been dressed? Why why has the city not incentivized a developer to go in and buy up their massive lots, uh, buy some up and redevelop it into something that is, um, you know, something a little more nicer? And uh, you can still keep it low income, low low rental for sure. Um, but like those, some of the houses you drive up that street and, you know, they're boarded up and plywood on the windows and that kind of thing. And you just got to wonder why it's been, you know, decades that it, that street has been the way that street has been. Now, I know they don't have control over private land ownership. However, it would be, you know, it would be nice to see some sort of, I don't know, plan for it. Maybe they have it that we don't know of and they haven't really. It's not been publicized for whatever reasons. But like, again, it's one of those things where that creates the low land value all the way around it. And it kind of, it's like a ripple in the ocean where up closer, it's bigger. And then as further go out, it still affects you, but it gets a little less and less and less. Right? So you're saying it's, it's been an eyesore for decades. And, yes. and, you know, part of it is, I would say you'd need a local partnership for somebody to say, I, I will take this on. I will, because by developing that area, Obviously, there there is a ripple effect with land values and that, yep. that kind of thing. But, you know, when you look at Kelowna on the map, you go, okay, do I want to go into a problem area and and do this? Because you would have to be, and, and this is just me speaking transparently, you'd have to be a, a local Rutland resident to care enough to do that. Yeah. You would You would, unless they can really throw the incentives at the developer. If you're an outside developer, a Vancouver, Toronto, Calgary developer, you know, big pockets, willing to really bulldoze an entire street, if the city can make it so attractive to them, so attractive to them that, you know, this is feasible. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a tax break on all those properties that you build for 10 years, 20 years, whatever. We'll make it so that the process for you to redevelop this uh, will, will cut the fees, whatever they have to do to make it affordable for them. And in this time where 
I, I think every single politician that's ran in Kelowna for the last two or three elections has has ran on the homeless issue and the housing cost issue. Well, here you have the perfect street to put in low income, low low cost housing that can be be built with quality. It can be built with aesthetics, and it can clean up a neighborhood. Yeah, how much ripple effect are we talking about here, though? If, if somebody did that, I'm just yeah. looking at the the horizon, the goal line. How much can we feasibly like? How much of a of an effect? And and again, talking about the outlying regions of of Hein, how much would they get to enjoy from that idea going forward? Well, I, I think that the property owners around it would see an increase in their saleability for sure. Um, I'm not an expert on real estate costs and all, but if you're not one street from Hine Road. Um, People are going to look at you like your example is perfect. Your real estate agent will drive you down that street. And, it, you know, even changing the name, redeveloping it and changing the name from Hyde Road, right? Um, there is this great thing that's going on. Well, uh, I personally don't think it's great, but some call it great in Rutland where they're doing land assemblies. It seems like every week, every month, there's another group of homes being sold as a bulk, five, six, seven, ten homes called the, the land assembly. And it seems to be in a big rectangle from highway 97 up to rutland road from highway 33 to Head. there's that long narrow and benley parks right smack in the middle of it where i know of at least three land assemblies that are owned by outside developers where they've purchased multiple homes and they are ready to tear down and build condos when the market's correct so you know, it'd be great to redo with some sort of uh, low-income housing on hydro and to try and clean that up. I'm then kind of baffled with, well, why are we getting rid of some really nice residential streets around the corner and putting up what, you know, just a whole bunch of three and four-story condominiums? So I, I don't, like, I understand the economics of it because you take down, you know, five homes that you pay $5 million for and you've got $30 million worth of condos to sell, but it's pretty we, good. It's pretty easy math, pretty easy math, right? Yeah. You don't have to have grade 12 for that one. But the thing is, is like, is that the, is, is that the future of that blockage of Rutland? Is that just going to become one big sea of three and four and five story condominiums? And you're worried about it becoming projects or what? I, well, yeah, absolutely. Like right now they look great, right? What are they going to, what's it going to look like in 50 years, 20 years, 30 years? You know, the the other option is, the other thing is, not the option, the other thought is, is that what the community wants? Maybe that's what the developers want. Maybe that's what the, the city sees as, again, that's a great spot for us to put a whole bunch of lower income housing that is really a good sell point for us. But your clientele for that and your clientele for economically sound single family homes, which Rutland is full of them when people are trying to get in the market, right? That's an entry-level marketplace and they're great homes. They're different clientele. So you're going to take away this entire community of homes that is affordable to some people and you're going to push them somewhere else because now you're going to have condos there. And a lot of families don't want condos, right? So when, you know, everyone's seen the land development notice and and uh, so there's a due process with those types of of land assemblies where you you have a, a maybe a public forum where you can voice your displeasure or advocate or whatever you want to do with those kind of land uh, developments it is are you saying okay but what are we doing to the whole character of of rutland because those single family homes are easy access for some families to be the first home the picket fence the dream right of, yep. of home ownership but you're saying, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want a community full of three and four stories high condominiums because yep. that perhaps is not the dream and that could potentially degrade the whole community. Well, absolutely. I mean, you think of the stress of taking a street of, let's say there's 20 families living on those streets and 20 homes, and you then turn that into 150 to 200 apartments. So now road stress, you got stress on the city uh, infrastructure, whether it's water, sewer, whatever. Um, 
it can, you know, Highway 33 gets that many more vehicles. Uh, the stores get that many more, you know, people crowding in the parking lots, all that stuff. You're, you're, you're changing the dynamic of a neighborhood exponentially. And um, being around development within Kelowna for the last 20 or so years, um, I know that all the new developments are required to have multifamily in them, whether it's townhomes or whatever. Um, a lot of them are going to what they call townhomes and what us older people call duplexes as their um, answer to that. So my question would be is why are we not seeing more of the, if you want more of those, great. That, that is a way to densify the city, which seems to be the way with our concrete jungle we're, we're creating downtown. Um, why not spread that and not just have them in one big area again within Rutland? It's like it's it goes back to the same thing as the wet well, It's all about right? money. Oh, yeah. No, it's it, the lower property it, values. It, yeah. it really is. Like if you stack homes, yeah. it's pretty good money. It's very good money. Absolutely it is, right? <laughs> um, but it, And I'm all fine with that. But my answer to that would be instead of demolishing good single family residential areas to do that, why wouldn't you do that required of developments outlying in outlying areas? So Kettle Valley, let's put let's put half a dozen four story condominiums in Kettle Valley, not townhomes, condominiums, because let's be honest, when they build this in this area in, in Rutland, chances are they're going to be condominiums and not townhomes. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a, a bit of a distinction. Um because it's bang for your buck. Like you said, it's 100% bang for your well, buck. Well, it's a revenue right? generator, yeah. 100%. And then if you do them as rentals, then it's revenue forever. But if you sell them, I mean, it's just, it's printing money. <laughs> you know, there's stuff to it. But anyways, um, yeah, like I, I understand the need for it. And and urban sprawl is 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 a hateful term these days. Um, but at the same time, why not? spread the wealth just like we were talking about with the wet homes and and honestly i i appreciate the viewpoint of sometimes we should take uh, a moment and be mindful of of what kind of impact you know any kind of development and i think for the most part um you know as much as developers may get a bad rap a lot of them are are, are thinking about the community and they're thinking okay how i still need to make money but i also need to stay you know, part of the the fabric that is this community. Yeah. So, what does that look like, and what is my what does my exterior look like, and how much value do I bring to the neighborhood? But it, it's a good point, I think. Which is, you know, what does what does that do for a community when you take away four or five homes or six, and you replace it with, you know, a hundred people? <laughs> like, honestly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I won't point out the street is on so that. I don't want to point a specific building out, um, but my son had moved out and he was renting in Rutland in a brand new condo uh, complex. It was a four story, um, it, right in the, took down four homes and put it up and it's all surrounded by homes. Um, so he lived there for a year and there was inadequate parking. So it put there, every day there was at least 20 cars on the street trying to find a spot to park. Right. Um, I happen to know a gentleman who lives halfway down the road from this, so like one block away. And he said the amount of traffic, the amount of parking on the street in front of everyone's homes, the amount of everything that that added to it was crazy. Like, it, and what it does is it's that self-fulfilling property brings down, or a prophecy, it brings down their property values and entices them to sell out to a developer because they don't want to live there anymore because they have this beside them. But the point I was going to make was... The hu- it looked great. It's a great looking building. It really is. But having gone in there several times, you know, to visit my son, help him with stuff and this and that, it is just over a year old and it is already falling apart. Yeah. So the question would be is like, again, in 15 years, 20 years, and these condos start to degrade and not be as, you know, enticive to, to people to live in, you're creating that project effect, right? And you know, not saying that that's what would happen here because the projects in the U.S. were horrible. However, it's something that you have to take into consideration when you walk into a one-year-old building and the tiles are all lifting and the elevator creaks and groans and shudders like it's going to fall down. And, you know, you got to wonder what that's going to look like in 20 years. Okay, so we're we're knocking down some issues today there, Pat. Yeah. Uh, we got some... We got some wet houses. We got some uh, condominiums. We got middle schools. What what else you got for me? What what else is Rutland facing? We got to tend to. Well, th- this is one that's um, 
for myself, living in Rutland, I'm personally on Black Mountain Water. Um, it Rutland has Black Mountain and Rutland Waterworks. Those are our two providers. And in the past, uh, it has been a there's been attempts by the city of Kelowna to amalgamate them. Um, they did it with the Southeast Kelowna, which is totally understandable because of the condition that that water works infrastructure oh, was in. Yeah, it was. Which you know about. Yeah. It was an, an implosion. Yeah. yeah. So being as I, you know, I get the newsletters, I read what's going on with Black Mountain and all this. Black Mountain and Rutland Waterworks have the best water in Kelowna, bar none. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Yeah. Hard words. You just said that? Hard words. Mic drop. Not not hard water. Yeah, yeah, well, a little bit, but it's great water. It's fantastic, right? We have we have very little, if any, issues, and I've been on that water system for forty years, right? Um, I don't see the incentive as to why, and I'm so thankful for both Black Mountain and Rutland Waterworks for saying thank you, but no, thank you. And and it's interesting because again, uh, good friend Ron Matusi, XCAO, talked about. The fact that one of his his biggest still left to be done issues that he faced while in office was amalgamation yeah. and and again I, I I think it's that and again I, I know enough to be dangerous but not enough to be an expert but <laughs> I, I think one of the things that I learned was if you have different metrics for a service so let's say a uh, call rate, uh, we, we respond within a certain amount of time. Um, particles in, in the water, there's, there's less particles, like the water's cleaner. It fulfills, it, it's above average for the province when you look at a metric yeah. across the province. So when it starts meeting those or exceeding standards and you have excellence and there's money in the bank, it's well run, but then you throw water districts that maybe don't have that same level of, of service aspect. And I'm not disparaging anyone, but I'm just saying if you have a high point, what ends up happening is I think you do lose uh, service standards. As a Absolutely. result of that, because you have this watering down, <laughs> sorry about the pun, uh, of, <laughs> of service. And, and that can happen with when you throw a bunch of... Because the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and if you take on a water district that isn't as well run, guess what happens? You have to allocate resources for that. So, yeah. so again, it's interesting from my standpoint. You see the water, you see the service standards, and you're you're a huge fan. So I think that's one thing that you know Rutland Black Mountain especially hang their hat on. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and I, don't get me wrong, I understand um, where they're coming from. A, a bigger water uh, service has more clout, as we were talking with the province, more clout for grants. It has more clout for lots of other things. So amalgamating Rutland and, and, and Black Mountain would definitely prop up the city of Kelowna Waterworks, 100%. But there's no upside for us. Rutland Waterworks, to my knowledge, and Black Mountain, from everything I've seen, are run extremely well. Uh, if there's a problem, you phone, honestly, they're there within half an hour to check it out. Uh, the water is great quality. They have a working relationship. So if this guy's system goes down, Rutland can take over part of Black Mountains for a bit while they fix and, and switch back over. It's, it's wonderful. Budget's all on good. They've got contingency funds. They've got uh, future infrastructure upgrade funds, to my knowledge. Like, it is, they're doing it right. So what is our incentive to become part of the city of Kelowna? There's none because really what it looks like from my perspective as a customer of one of those utilities is the city of Kelowna wants to use us as a piggy bank to fix other things, which is exactly what you said. They want to be able to use our funds and our infrastructure to help prop up other areas. There's, so there's no benefit to us. No benefit. So we, we've talked a bit about the Rutland issues, but there's a reason why you have such a passion uh, for Rutland, and that's because of the community. And and I've been able to experience a bit of that hanging out at your house and, and meeting your family and, and seeing the friends and family that come around uh, when you still lived in, in the heart of Rutland. Was there any kind of experience you had as a family where you were just blown away by the community generosity or just the, the togetherness? Like, is there anything, was there any kind of black block parties or anything else that you just felt, man, I, I'm so happy I live here. To be honest, I mean, it, there was about a 10 year span on our little street where we where we lived and um, that all the kids would be every day outside playing after school on the street. It was a very quiet street. It really didn't get anyone anywhere. So there wasn't a lot of traffic. 
um, as the mom and dads got home from work, especially on Fridays, it, we would end up in fr- someone's front yard having a couple of drinks and then, oh, well, we're just going to go get some food. And we, and it was constant, like constant every week, pretty much. Um, you know, we'd get parties together, we'd hang out. And if someone goes away and everyone's watching their yard, everyone's taking care and mowing their lawns, taking their trash out, whatever. I'm still in contact with a good number of those people. And we all reminisce on that was just like the glory days. Like, remember the show Wonder Years? Mm -hmm. That's -hmm. what it was like. Yeah. It was like the moms and dads would get home from work between three and five. And, you know, most of us on the street, we were contractors. So we'd come home pretty disgusting. But it'd be like, hey, you want a beer? And it would take you an hour and a half to get in the house to shower because the entire neighborhood would be all just talking. Yeah. And the kids would be running around. And I remember, and this is the greatest story ever. The We had lived there for a while and we had our last son and he was only about maybe 18 months old. Just started walking. New neighbor just moves in next door, right? He knew my brother went to school with him. I didn't really know him, a few years older than me, but he moves in. And it was a Saturday, like in the morning. And I get this knock on the door. And it opens the door and he goes, I think this is yours. And there's our son in only a diaper. (laughs) So he had gotten out the front door and he was sitting on our front lawn playing, which I mean, now, 17 years later, cause for anxiety back then, knowing our street and that, you know, we were in and out of the house, we would have found him in five minutes, but he had walked out his house, saw our kid on the lawn without a parent, thought, "Hmm, that's not right. Walked over, didn't know us from anybody. Knocked on and, and introduced himself that way. And I'm like, where else in Kelowna would you have somebody do that where they would just come up like that to a stranger kid and say, is this your house? And knock on the door, right? <laughs> like, it was fantastic. It was a great way to meet him, yeah. first off. But it's just the security of knowing, you know, that's what... That's the neighborhood you're... Yeah, that's, you're, that's where we're living. And one other little story, which was, this was wonderful. There was a younger kids decided to do some car surfing down our street where one of them jumps on the roof and they drive it out. They did one pass up the street and we've all been there. I mean, we're not, but we have kids playing. Like I said, the street was one, one and a half blocks long. By the time they turned around at the end and came back, there were five dads standing in the middle of the street to stop them and have a talk with them. Just talk them down. just, Just so you guys know. We're not really happy with what you're doing on our street because our children were just out here 30 seconds ago. Yeah. And it was, they were like, yep, yep, yep. Got in their car and idled their way down. (laughs) But it was just that, that bonding. Like nobody called anybody. They just, everyone heard it, walked out and said, no, not happening. Right. Yeah. It was that looking after each other, looking after each other's kids. It was that bonding, you know, like I said, it's back to the seventies and eighties where neighborhoods just had barbecues every weekend. Yeah. It w- it's a, it was a wonderful place and it still can be seen in, in areas of Rutland for sure. I have uh, social services on line three about the child incident <laughs> right? there, Pat. Yeah. yeah. So as we sit here today, we have a municipal election coming up in, in your estimation, what are some of the things that, that you think um, somebody could put in their platform. Like somebody could say, listen, I, I'm i looking after all of Kelowna, but I realize what an impact uh, the Rutland community has for Kelowna. I would like to speak to these issues when I get on council. Like what kinds of things do you want them to utter after that statement? Uh, what I'd like to hear is let's have a hard look at the wet houses. Let's have, uh, let's really put, our backbones into pushing for this new, even a plan for the new Rutland middle, because let's be honest, we need a plan. Um, my understanding is um, three, four years ago, um, the the school district trustees were even able to get some ALR land out for the school to be built on. Cause they can't build it on that site. It has to be built off site and then destroy sure. that one. Um, you know, the, the BC government kind of said, no, we're, we're good. Thanks. So they did a lot of work to get that in place. What I'd like to see is somebody who's willing to champion that alongside the school district to say, you know, this is a massive priority for us and we need to keep like all the time, get on them. Um, it would, it would be, I don't know if you, you know, Benley Park, you know, Benley Park, right? So yeah. it's named after Benley. Yeah. I'll be honest. He is the last true champion I can remember in public life for Rutland. And I think that if we could have a couple more of those, a couple right. more people who say, 
you know, wet houses are an issue. Um, the, the school is an issue for sure. Um, you know, we're, we're okay. We'll, we'll leave Rutland and, and Black Mountain Waterworks. Maybe we can just create an, uh, symbiotic, symbiotic relationship with you guys where we have the ability to help you and you have the ability to help us. If we want to go for a large grant, we can team up for those large grants if mm-hmm. needed, stuff like that. Um, Someone who can delve into the zoning and into the applications for what they are doing with demolishing sing- viable single-family homes and creating condominiums in place of them. Someone who's willing to take that and say, okay, the public, here's the plan. What do you think? Instead of us, like you said, they do put up their development permit, their development notifications. What would really be like nice to know is like, what is your future plan prior to us seeing the development notice. Right. Um, I think that there's enough of a base in, in Rutland that if someone ran on that as a parallel to, you know, other issues like the homeless issue, which is just as prevalent as in Rutland as it is downtown. Mm -hmm. So you can say, you know, like, I understand this is citywide and I will focus citywide, but we also, you know, need to look at this community of Rutland, which is really taking the brunt of if they're not in downtown, they're in Rutland. Mm-hmm. be honest you, you go down you, when you drive down into to Glenmore or into lower mission you'll see some but you won't see what we see in Rutland you won't see the street corners with them camped out and Benley Park's got a bunch you know that kind of thing I think you know seeing what we saw in 2019 with the wet houses and how the community came together and they were talking about you know propping up a few candidates for council it would be really nice and I'm not being in any way discriminatory to the other areas of Kelowna. I'm just thinking that it's time Rutland really did have its strong voice. So listen, uh, I've enjoyed the heck out of today. Um, you, you brought a lot of things forward for the Rutland community, which again, I, I really do think it gets a bad rap. I really do think that, and, and you, you know, the community needs more advocates. I mean, uh, not enough people stand up for a community that, that has so many residents yeah, <laughs> in it. It's huge. And and the economic viability, it's a it's a powerful force for Kelowna, and and a lot of times, like I said, it just uh, straight out of Rutland gets gets a bad rap. So, it does, yeah. uh, thanks again for sharing the time, Pat, and uh, we'll get you on the big show here soon. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.